Welcome to Sacred Realms. a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I am your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Uh, again, not co-located tonight for a completely separate set of circumstances than you were not co-located uh, last time. Not completely separate. They're actually somewhat related because uh, it turns out that when you travel, you get exposed to COVID. Who knew? I do now. I mean, yes, I was exposed I guess, to COVID. Like, I guess, I guess, intellectually, I knew that that could happen, but for for dramatic effect, like for what you're trying to set up here, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a what? Um, but no, it's uh, yeah, we're not co-located. Instead, I am actually back where this all began, Lyndon. I am back in the upstairs media room at Mom and Dad's. Oh gosh, uh, it's a nostalgia trip for sure. Well, do I remember the days? It's it's actually it's crazy to think how far we've come from our humble beginnings. We have come very far uh, from various uh, offices to patios, and uh, you know, here here we are again, back back in the uh, the OG. But you know what? We were kind it's of trying cool. to we were kind of trying to figure out if we were going to record outside tonight. I looked at the temperature; it was right on the line. I think we were on the right side of it, but after another hour and fifteen minutes of this, I may change my mind i don't know when i say we of course i'm referring to myself and also the wonderful gentleman who has rejoined us for yet another episode in season five of sacred realms a zelda retrospective podcast uh that person is of course our good friend y'all know him you'll love him he was never gonna stay away for long ladies and gentlemen mike the detective hello there burr, 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 burr. hey I love hey that. that was a good one i understood that reference <laughs> yeah uh, I'm hip. <laughs> How about that Kenobi though, y'all? Right? Oh my gosh! I mean, am I right? Uh, yeah, you're. You're. As if I didn't right. love you enough already, I I could have his babies even more now. You and McGregor is really just a, a treasure of humanity. I was gonna say national treasure, but then I remembered that he is definitely not American. So, um, he's Irish, right? Uh, Scottish. Scottish? I think Scottish. I don't know, something like that. Uh, he is definitely think, in the the vicinity of the Great Britain slash the UK. So he's gonna be one of those. Uh, the colonies are rowdy tonight. Here in about a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, so many reasons. Um, yeah, no, he is a he is a treasure of humanity, and that show uh, was fantastic, in my opinion. Definitely a huge fan. Um, big Star Wars fans on this podcast. I know we talk a lot about Star Trek, but I don't think we mentioned Star Wars ever that much. But we're huge fans of that, too. And we loved Kenobi. It was a great time. Mike, we're uh, so happy that you could be back with us for another episode. It's been a few. It has been a few. It's been busy for, uh, I think, the both of us. Uh, very much so. I'm now in the moving boat, much as you were uh, not long ago. And yeah. I got a promotion at work. Yep. Yep. You've been excelling in basically all areas of your life, which is, you know, great. We're happy for you. What more can you ask for? Cut that out. It makes us jealous. 
But yeah, so I mean, I got uh, I got off the moving train right in time for you to get on it. So basically, our our lives have both been pretty insane for a little while. That's right. But you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm assuming that you found at least enough time to familiarize yourself with the section of Zelda game that we're going to be talking about this week. I did have time to pick up the old switch <laughs> to familiarize myself. So before we get into the meat of the episode, then, Mike, uh, I do want to ask you real quick, how has your playthrough of Breath of the Wild been going since we since we spoke last? To be perfectly honest, Lyndon, uh, slow is probably the correct word um, between wrangling the two kiddos, getting moving stuff together and the new job stuff. Um, I have not been able to keep up as well as I would like. Mm. I have been able to pick up and play snippets. Uh, generally, those 20 to 30 minutes where I can sneak it. Um, without incurring the ire of yield wife, uh, you never want that ire. <laughs> you don't want the ire. Trust me. Um, but no, I've I've had a good time. I've still been keeping up with it. Um, I am uh, ashamed of my lack of progress. Mike, we're not ashamed for you because the truth is that we all do this at our own pace. So you just do what's right for you, and you live your truth. That sounds like the nice way of saying, oh, you poor old man. (laughs) (laughs) We're sorry you don't get to have fun anymore. (laughs) Uh, He's having fun tonight. Look at this. We got we made highballs. We got stogies. This this looks like a fun time to me. Yes. I snuck away after kids gymnastics to come to this. (laughs) So so maybe you do have a little ire after all. (laughs) I I can fade it. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay, good. Good. Uh, We will. I know. We will, of course, get into a wonderful chunk of Breath of the Wild here in just a minute. Before we do that, let's go ahead and get into some housekeeping. Before the structured housekeeping, I want to go ahead and drop a note, follow up on an item that I mentioned in the last episode, which is that we are now in voting season for season six of Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. Um, We are now trying to line up the top down uh, flavor of Zelda that we're going to be playing next. That poll went live today. And if you are a patron, on our Patreon, then you have got voting rights on that poll. We've got three options to choose from. We will either be playing The Legend of Zelda and Zelda 2 in a combined season, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages in a combined season, or A Link Between Worlds by itself. So those are your three options. Go check that out. And if you feel uber strongly about which one of those you would like to see us play next on this show uh, and you're a patron, then you can cast your vote now. If you would like to become a patron in order to gain said voting privilege, then that uh, option is always there for you. And it is open to all levels um, of pledging on our Patreon. So there we go. It's an exciting time. I feel like we're probably going to have to play some NES games unless something drastically changes, Matt. The the early lead is very much skewing towards Zelda 1 and Zelda 2. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm not super mad about that. I am kind of of the opinion that we should just get it out of the way because, I mean, you know, we're going to have to do it eventually, right? And we should probably do it while the uh, hype train for the podcast is fairly high. We're getting a decent number of uh, of listeners, and maybe they'll just listen to us uh, complain for the most part instead of uh, wax philosophical about how amazing it is. So um, they'll get a little bit of uh, a little bit of variety in their lives. So I, I think you're right. I think a good time to do that is now before Breath of the Wild Two comes out, and I think that's probably going to take a, a precedent at a certain point. But I've also been very curious to play Zelda One and Two because uh, I would I would be new to them both. 
Yeah, and also I've I've heard it actually brought up from several people that if we're going to play The Legend of Zelda, then after playing Breath of the Wild is probably the best time to do it because paradoxically, even though those are the two Zelda games that are the furthest from each other uh, as far as span of time, you know, the the newest to the oldest, um, they actually share the most in like gameplay philosophy. So yeah, um, I, I think that that's probably what's going to happen. And I think that if it does happen, that would be appropriate. Of course, if uh, if A Link Between Worlds kind of comes back from behind and steals the whole thing, then I'm not going to complain about that because that game rocks. But, you know, we're, we're playing them all anyway, so whatever. I have very few complaints about any of the Zeldas, so, you know, we'll we'll go forward. Um, but that man, makes me happy, Mike. No one likes a complainer. No one likes a complainer. But do you, perchance, have a, uh, a way to help a bro out in playing this game? Because I do not possess said uh, system. Uh, you possess a Nintendo Switch, which means that you have both games on it right now. Um, you would be able to play those using the exact same service that you used to play Link to the Past. Dope. There you go. I'm happy I could do that for you, Mike. I'm happy that I could help you out in that way. I, I actually didn't know that, but I feel like this also was a great segue to tell the listeners how to play said game as well. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I'm not going to tell them how to play it until it actually like comes up as the winner in the voting. But whenever that does happen, the great thing is that Zelda 1 and 2 are both playable on the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System online service on the Nintendo Switch. So there's a lot of good stuff on there, actually, between that and the Super Nintendo. So it's a, it's a great thing that Nintendo does that I really wish they would just stop screwing around and add Game Boy support, uh, support for. But, well, you know. selfishly, we want them to add Game Boy support because that means that we never have to buy another console ever again and we can play all the zelda games except for well, well that's i mean true. we we have to have yeah <laughs> well wind waker and twilight princess yeah but we already have a system for that so uh oh and we will have to get cartridges of phantom hourglass and spirit tracks and my kid wants to play pokemon oh we Ooh, do well, you gotta let him do that yeah yeah, yeah. You, you never want to quash those impulses pokemon is holy <laughs> Pokemon is live. <laughs> I also never pronounce it Pokemon, but I'm doing it now just because you did. You're welcome. What have you done? You're, you're a big old corrupting influence on this podcast, Mike, but we love it and we would have it no other way. All right. If you didn't know, Sacred... Uh, Let's uh, <laughs> try that again. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda. One little slice at a time, Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to listener mail, vote, on what game we play next and much more. An additional bonus that we have on our Patreon is that Master Sword patrons and above get their names read on every episode of this show. Uh, my friend, the detective, has politely requested that he be allowed to read the names tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and pull those up for him. Uh, those legendary individuals are Allie, Lennon, Leviticus, Melanie, Kolku, Rowan, Joshua, Nick, Hyrule Podcasters, Keep It Going, Dante, Gip, Mary, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D TV, underscore TV, that's important, Travis, CHS, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, Garrett, and Drew. 
Notably, that's actually CSH, and that person's first name is Christian. I only know that because I write their shipping labels. So, <laughs> so thank you, Christian. Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, High Rule interviews our good friend Max Nichols, who helped me brainstorm uh, which titles we should have on the poll this time around, and whether or not it was a wise decision to start combining them. Um, in the case of Oracle of Seasons and Ages and of um, Zelda 1 and 2, we felt like we would probably uh, get a really good whole season um, of the show if we were to combine those two. Oracle of Seasons and Ages, the verdict's kind of still out on. That might be a little long, but Zelda 1 and 2 together, I don't think either one of those is long enough of a game to support an entire season by itself. So, anywho, thank you, Max Nichols. Uh, always a great friend of this show, and we appreciate your input so much. So, Donor, what you're telling me is you consider Max Nichols wise. I consider Max to be wise. Have you <laughs> have you ever heard the tragedy of Max Nichols the wise? <laughs> I haven't, but I'm here for it. <laughs> it's ironic. <laughs> he could save others from, I don't know where I'm going to go with that, so I'm just going to bail out. I was going to say, it falls fast. apart. <laughs> the, the, the Sith Lord analogy falls apart real quick. Like We need to improv class right now. <laughs> Oh boy. All right. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We do that every week, of course, in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week, the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Breath of the Wild Chapter 13, which we have dubbed the Unlocking Memories section of the game. Part one of the Sacred Realms Rundown is, as always, the plot recap, usually read by Matt. Matt was swamped at work today, and so I volunteered to write and perform the plot recap. Matt, uh... You know, how, how are you doing with that? Are you okay? Do you, do yeah, you, need a hug? you know, I think I can, I think I can, uh, pass that on every once in a while. And, uh, I have no qualms about it today and I appreciate you helping me out. Without further ado, the plot recap as read by me. As we turn our backs to the scorching sands and sheer cliffs of the Gerudo region, we take a moment to appreciate how far we've come on our journey and how much closer we are to our confrontation with Ganon in Hyrule Castle. The time has now come to push our power to its highest limits and to prepare for that epic struggle. We go to the map on our Sheikah Slate to search for areas of Hyrule that might still have shrines for us to discover and thereby increase our life force and stamina. When we open the slate, however, we're reminded of a page that has not called our attention in many weeks. The album of photos taken by Zelda that Impa told us about when we first arrived in Kakariko Village is still there, and visiting the locations might just help us to fill in many of the gaps of our memories from a hundred years ago that still exist. As we travel the desolate kingdom of Hyrule searching for more shrines, we occasionally stop and seek out the locations described in the Sheikah Slate. And each brings us a moment of clarity about our past life and our relationship with Zelda and the other champions. We recall the early days of Link's duty to be the knight appointed to guard Princess Zelda, and of the studies that the princess conducted of the various Sheikah artifacts scattered throughout the land. We remember days spent strolling by the lakes of central Hyrule, where Zelda questioned our proficiency with the Master Sword, which was newly in our care, and of times when Zelda clearly showed resentment towards our ever-present watchfulness. 
Many of these early memories paint a picture of an adversarial relationship between Link and Zelda, but that bond began to thaw when Link rescued the princess from an ambush by the Yiga foot soldiers at the Karakara Bazaar, and after Link began to prove himself in battle against powerful bands of monsters, the appearance of which was growing more and more frequent. The increasing frequency of these monster attacks caused Zelda to redouble her scholarly pursuits in the hopes that the Guardians and the Divine Beasts would be Hyrule's salvation when Ganon finally did appear. Even though the princess seemed fiercely driven to continue this work, she always seemed to bear an incredible burden. We remember that Zelda was racked with constant doubts about her ability to perform sealing magic, a supposedly inherited trait passed down through her line which would allow her to seal Ganon away as her ancestors had done. However, despite her fervent efforts to summon this magic, Zelda had nothing to show for the attempt as of yet. During our travels, while we continued searching for the locations documented in the Sheikah Slate, we stumbled across three massive structures at the utmost ends of Hyrule. One in the frozen north, one in the middle of the Akala Sea, and one in the Gerudo Cliffs. These massive labyrinths were built by a clearly advanced ancient civilization, and each one had a shrine at its center. With patience and resourcefulness as our greatest tools, we delved into the center of each labyrinth and collected the goddess spheres housed there. In the Akala labyrinth, we discovered a lower floor littered with guardians. After frantic combat, we search the cleared out basement area and discover a chest containing the travel medallion, which grants us instant warping capabilities to any one area of our choosing. Our power continues to grow, but we still have not come to the end of the story which the photo album in the Sheikah Slate promises to tell. We follow that trail further through the woods, plains, and even to the guardian-infested ruins of Zelda's keep in Hyrule Castle. It is here that we remember a sunlit day when Zelda and Link were overseeing early experiments on control of the guardians. All of Zelda's excitement turns to dust, however, when a stern voice calls across the battlements of Hyrule Castle, demanding to know what Zelda is doing there. The voice belongs to her father, King Rome, who is vexed by Zelda's insistence on continuing her scholarly pursuits at the expense of her spiritual training, which has still yielded no success in summoning the fabled sealing magic. Zelda promises her father that she will redouble her efforts in this regard, which leads her and Link to the serene spring of power in Akala. Zelda hopes that prayer to the goddess statue in this sacred place will yield the results that she has so long sought after, but she is rewarded only with more disappointment. At her wit's end, Zelda resolves to try and solve this problem by offering her prayers to the goddess at the final of the sacred springs, the spring of wisdom which is located on Mount Lineru. All four champions accompany Link and Zelda to the base of the mountain in support and wait while the princess offers her prayers at the spring. All are crestfallen when she returns to the Laneru Promenade Gates and reports no success in her efforts. There is no time to discuss next steps, however, as a massive quake shakes the ground and magenta lightning flicks the sky over distant Hyrule Castle. Rivali takes to the skies and is able to see the full scope of the unfolding horror. Calamity Ganon has appeared over Hyrule Castle. Zelda has run out of time to discover her magical ability, and now the plan to defeat Ganon must go forward without her. 
Daruk directs the champions to return to their divine beasts and to prepare to support Link while he storms the castle to do battle with Ganon. If we thought that the next and final memory would be a happy one, we are sorely disappointed when we arrive in a wooded area of Hyrule Field and recall a scene of Link and Zelda battered and fleeing through the rain. We recall Zelda describing a scene of utter defeat in which the Guardians and the Divine Beasts have been usurped by the malice of Ganon. With the Champions, the King, and the Army of Hyrule gone, Zelda and Link are utterly alone. This marks the final location documented by Zelda as having been visited, but clearly the story did not end here. We return to Impa to ask what happened next, and she reveals to us that the memory can now be accessed. She points us to a painting and says that the pictured location will help us unlock the final piece of the story. We recognize this area as being the Blatchery Plain standing in the shadow of Fort Hateno in East Nakluta. Once we arrive, we look around at the mounds of inert guardian husks, and the final memory comes flooding back. Link remembers being surrounded by a multitude of guardian stalkers, trying desperately to stand between their lethal beam weapons and the princess, who it was our duty to continue protecting. We bear the wounds from many previous battles, but it was our intention to die defending the princess if that's what was required. Guardian settles itself in front of Link and Zelda. It's targeting laser pointed squarely at Link's heart. Zelda, however, stands in front of Link and raises a defiant hand towards the machine. The air around us is pierced by a startling gold light, and the shape of the Triforce appears on the back of Zelda's hand. The golden light creates a shockwave which disables all of the Guardians in the area and offers a moment of safety for the princess and her knight. Zelda has barely a moment to marvel at the magic that she has finally managed to summon before she hears a soft sigh behind her and turns to see that Link has collapsed, finally succumbing to his many wounds. Zelda believes that all is lost and that she has lost everyone she cares for in the world until a soft blue light begins to glow from the Master Sword, which lays on the wet ground nearby. A voice speaks to Zelda's mind from within the sword, which tells her that there is still hope for Link. Two Sheikah warriors arrive on the scene, and Zelda, now allowing herself the faintest glimmer of hope, instructs them to take the gravely injured Link to the Shrine of Resurrection, while she goes to deliver the Master Sword into the care of the Deku Tree, before doing what she can to temporarily seal Ganon within Hyrule Castle. This brings our story full circle to the moment that we awoke in the Shrine of Resurrection. Even though we now bear the burden of full knowledge regarding the deadly events of a hundred years ago, we take hope in the knowledge that Zelda still awaits us in Hyrule Castle and that she has access to the sealing power that she has so desperately sought for so long. This has been the plot recap as read by me. Part two is our takes where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. I'm going to go ahead and move the microphone back into its uh, rightful position. And Lyndon, while you do that, that was a phenomenal job. Well done. I uh, I will give you the theater claps with the back of the hand. That was a very long plot recap, and you, you did well. 
Well, thank you. I, I feel like I kind of had a leg up here because this is by far the most cinematic section of the game where like, I feel like sometimes Matt, you kind of have to <laughs> take a chunk of game and like add plot on top of it. Or make it cinematic. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, fill in some gaps, get some, get some creative writing out of the way. Right. Much like uh, in Jurassic, when you add a little bit of frog DNA to the dinosaurs. <laughs> Dino DNA. <laughs> Sometimes that doesn't go exactly the way you want it to because uh, life uh, finds a way. <laughs> yeah, the plot recap spontaneously transitions from female to male. It breeds, gets out of control. We've all been there. I mean, it's, I, it's a classic apocalyptic uh, outcome of a, of a podcast. Everybody knows that. I have almost been eaten by a plot recap before. I can't believe that the plot recap as a dinosaur analogy made it further than the Darth Plagueis <laughs> analogy. That is a little like, bit who odd. Who would have thought? <laughs> that is a little bit odd. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> what were the chances? <laughs> oh, man. But thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Um, Matt, let's go ahead and get our worksheets out of the way real quick so that we can just get into talking about this because we've got a lot of story to tackle here. If you would not mind going first, that would be great. Why, why, Lyndon? You uh, have a little crusty voice over there or something? It's not like you used it a lot. Well, no, but this is a nice cigar, <laughs> and I would really like to. I'd like to tend to it for a minute so it doesn't go uh, out. Fair enough. Uh, so this is episode thirteen. Yes. That's correct. Um, Cool. So uh, starting and ending point, Gerudo Town was the starting point. Uh, I ended my playthrough right outside Fort Hateno as soon as I unlocked uh, that final 13th memory. Um, Route taken. Yeah, I mean, I I think we can uh, safely classify this as uh, meandering, but uh, pointed all over the map. Uh, I did a lot of warping. I was actually following my hero's path thing, trying to figure out what route I took. And at some, at like about halfway through, I was like, you know, I just went everywhere. It happened. So, um, you know, all over the place. Shrine count here is 104. Uh, so I didn't do too many shrines. I know you said in your playthrough or in your plot recap that you did uh, all of the labyrinths, but I actually did not. Um, I will be covering those next week myself. Um, but uh, I think it's fair that that you did you did that. Hopefully you uh, used this time to catch up to me. Um and uh, no towers activated. Of course, we've already done all of that. So, uh, yeah, it was it was good. It was a lot. I'm actually sort of glad I spent six hours on planes this week because uh, it gave me the opportunity to uh, go find all the memories uh, from my own memory. I didn't use Google, and uh, that was actually really fun for me. So, um, yeah. Nice. Okay, so my starting point was also Gerudo Town. Uh, my ending point was actually at the um, at the gates of the Gerudo Labyrinth. After I beat it, um, I did the labyrinths after the memories uh, because I was sitting around a car dealership waiting for my tires to get changed <laughs> earlier today, and so I had some time to do all that stuff. So um, I I moseyed for a bit after I got the memories done. Route taken for me was uh, once again the warping bonanza. I'm just like I'm all over the place with the with the transporting these days um and took very little foot routes anywhere um except to get to the labyrinths which um each of those is kind of a kind of a trek to get to them for sure um although the the akala region one isn't that bad you just go from the uh lab and just paraglide 
basically a straight shot. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. The other two are definitely a lot harder. There's um, especially the Hebra one. I think it's still in the Hebra region. Uh, that one you actually have got to like walk past several Lynels to get to. Um, unless you go way out of your way and come there from central Hyrule, in which case you have to like go up all the way around Tanagar Canyon. And it's it's kind of a yeah, it's, that, it's a haul no, no matter how you yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Warping Bonanza. Shrine count for me is 102. I'm still just a little bit behind you, Matt, but I am catching up. Of course, we've only got like two more episodes in which to, to tie all those up. So that's going to be a good time. Um, towers activated, none, like you said. So yeah, that is uh, that is just our week as it can be described in a worksheet. Let's get into how we felt about this section of game real quick. And I really just want to set aside a lot of time here in part two to talk about um, the plot and the story that we find out about here. I'm going to pass it over to Mike first because it's been a minute since we heard his dulcet tones. Mike, how did you feel generally about, um, let, let's start with, instead of the content of the story, how do you feel about the way in which Breath of the Wild chooses to give us all of this story? Because it's very different than how we usually get cutscenes in Zelda games, right? So my my take on this is that I think they did it in a pretty ingenious way for what they were working with. Um, with the open world of this map and most of the main characters having been dead for a hundred years at this point, how are you going to fit a storyline into this? And I think the memories were a pretty cool way to bring in a, a pretty compelling story, in my opinion, to Link's past, his his absence, and then his future. Um, so for me, I uh, I generally find, is it is it Piku? Who's who's a gentleman paintbrush? Uh, Pekango. Pekango. I know something of that, that, that uh, flavor. So I usually go see Pekango at all the, the stables and then promptly ignore him. Um, so I had to do some digging to go back and get all the memories. Um, but... To be able to go and find these memories and kind of piece them together. And my, my hard part was I've done them not in order before. So having to go through and kind of, of see them in order is, I think, pretty compelling for the story. You've got some that are just very surface. Like I think that Rivali is a, a for lack of a better word, a D bag. Um, and, and then you have others like Mifa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then you've got Mifa who on the polar opposite is, is in love with Link. And it, it's kind of hard to decide whether that's like a, uh, a love that Link shares or kind of what his level of, uh, reciprocity of, of her amount of caring is. And then the Zelda from get the hell away from me, you creep to, Hey, I, I kind of maybe love this guy. And he helps unlock my power was pretty powerful. And I think in the short amount of time they had to actually tell the story, they did a really fine job. Matt, how about you? And so same question to you, but uh, I want to add another layer to it. We have recently played Skyward Sword, which is probably, I would say, actually even more so than Breath of the Wild, the most plot heavy Zelda game that I can really think of. Yeah. Yeah. And it has a lot of cutscenes, and it communicates its story in a very different way. Um, Breath of the Wild has its own unique strategy. How do you feel about that versus what Skyward Sword does? So, well, I I, I don't want to 
I don't know that I want to compare them because they're very different. You get a lot of story via uh, gameplay and it's all very structured for you in Skyward Sword. I think that I I really, really, really like the way that Breath of the Wild does character development and plot development. Um, I, I actually think that's one of the stronger points that it does in a very offbeat kind of way. Um these memories are are excellent and like mike said you go you see a wide variety of things and if you do them in order which that's my one kind of qualm is you have to do them in order in order to get the full benefit um you see character development from one end to the next right um i think that i think that it can be confusing um if you don't sit down and do it in the right order you're going to be just all over the place. And the reason I say that is because when I did it the first time, I was just kind of stumbling across some of these memories and like that, the there didn't, it didn't make sense. Like in one memory, Zelda would be, you know, cold and, and hateful in some ways towards Link. And in the next, she's like, you know, kind of, into him. Right. And so the, there was no continuity there. Um, so I think that's my one caveat to it is that if, if you don't do it in order, which this game is so much about not doing things in a specific order, then the, it doesn't make that much sense. Um, so, but as soon as you put it all together and you can watch it from one end to the next and even spurse, you know, uh, put in the memories about some of the other champions, like, yeah, once you, once you have it all and you watch it all back to back, um, it's really good. I, I think it's very, very well done. So Matt, I, I agree with you that, yeah, if you don't do it in order, it's very confusing and can kind of take away from some of that character development. But what I try and think about is think about someone who has legitimately lost their memories through a trauma, like a car accident. Um, I've seen this before in head trauma and things like that through my professional life your memories don't necessarily come back in a, a clear order. So you're remembering snippets um, that kind of seem jumbled is from what I've gathered. And I kind of thought about that as I was playing through this game and thought that was pretty interesting that, yeah, Link's not getting these back in necessarily the correct order, but whenever he gets the full picture, you can kind of put that together, which is why I thought it was enjoyable to kind of find those, those weird hot and cold moments with Zelda or, um, you know, you've got your, your really close moments with Mifa and Daruk and you're like, shoot, I've never seen Daruk before in my life. And now he's having this really honest moment with Daruk. But then as you kind of get everything back together, you're like, okay. So yeah, when you get a full picture, cause it's kind of like, he's coming out of that hundred year coma and trying to recover everything much like a trauma victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it that way, I think it's definitely a really cool sense of, uh, of real realism that can be added to it that I, I didn't think about it that way personally. Um, but no, I see how that, that could add an interesting layer there for sure. Um, yeah, I think when I, when I think about just story in general, um, I like my story to make sense. Uh, and I think that, you know, to Lyndon's point about trying to compare them between Skyward Sword and, and Breath of the Wild, I think, uh, whereas Skyward Sword in many ways kind of, I don't want to say holds your hand, but definitely forces you down a certain path and guides you down a certain direction uh, to where it it very it's telling a story in a very in, intentional way and in a very intentional sequence. Breath of the Wild can feel uh, disjointed in some ways. 
Um, and like definitely understanding Mike, what you said, I think adds a little bit of color there to why that might be and how that might appeal in some ways. But just, you know, from a story continuity perspective, I, I feel like that's the one detractor I can say about the way that the memories quest unfolds. Uh, just reiterating again that I do very much like the, the memories and I very much like the way that they tell this story and that they, they tell the relationship between Link and Zelda and the champions and um, that it helps fill in those gaps of like, why should I care about what happened a hundred years ago? Well, here's why. Um, so, so much, much like you, Matt, I also like my story, uh, to make sense, uh, which is, uh, of course, one reason that my favorite Star Wars movie is, uh, Star Wars episode nine, the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> wow. You, t- oh man. I, I everything. And somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was driven with so much sarcasm that I'm moist now. <laughs> Not the good kind. Uh, no, that's just because it's 90 degrees <laughs> at 930 in Texas. Um, no, I, I kid, I kid, I kid. Episode nine sucks. Um, <laughs> but but no, no. So I, I also, I, I prefer the story to make sense. I like it to be coherent. Mike's point was a really good one. I think a nice thing that this game does, because this is the first time that I've actually intentionally not gotten any of the memories until I was prepared to go get them all. Um, with the exception of the one at the sacred grounds, which is the first one chronologically, um, we got there early in the game, Matt. And I think I, we I both did, felt yeah, like it I made, got that one pretty early. Yeah. And I think we both felt that it made sense to get that one early because it was the first one and it actually gives us an introduction to the champions before we go and get their cutscenes as part of the divine beast quests. Right. Yep. Um, but this is the first time I've done it this way and I really enjoy it. I think, um, I think that one thing that this game does that makes it uh, really easy to consume them in both ways is that you can always go back to your Sheikah Slate and replay the memories from the photo album page. Um, And so if you're playing this game and you did get them out of order, I would recommend you go back and just like spend five minutes watching them from front to back um, because I think that that creates like a really cool narrative experience. Uh, but I, and I agree with you, Matt, that it's not necessarily fair to compare necessarily this method of storytelling to Skyward Sword, but I do just think that, um, it, it bears having a conversation in which they're, they're both a part of it together. Um, because I, I don't want to say that I think one does it better than the other. They're telling very different stories, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I, I do think that it is, um, it's an it's an interesting way of showing how the kind of game that Breath of the Wild is can still support that sort of like long form cinematic cutscene storytelling um, when it otherwise should not necessarily be able to because of the nonlinear way in which you're you're tackling a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, I, I think overall I would call it a success. Um, so now that we've sort of talked about that, I want to have like a little uh, free form open talk session. Um, about what we all actually thought of the plot that we kind of discover here, of the backstory that it tells of Link and Zelda, um, w- you know, what we learn about those characters. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start off and say that I really love how much we learn about Zelda through this because I think that if you didn't have these memories, then the Zelda of this game would honestly be relegated to like – I don't want to say like Link to the Past Zelda status. No, but she's, um, a, she's a MacGuffin if you don't. If you don't get this right, if you don't get this character development, she is literally just a a plot point and not a not a character. No, you're correct. Like, this is the the main avenue for them telling her story, 
And I still think that Skyward Sword Zelda is probably the strongest Zelda that I have played to date um, as far as her personality and her interaction with Link. But man, going back through these, especially, so I went back through an order prior to this podcast just to be the most informed I could be. Um, but man, she has such a compelling story between her internal struggle of what what am I supposed to do? What is my place in this? Because she's got these four champions who are, in their own regard, the best of the best of all their respective races and and jobs. And then you've got her who's been told her entire life, your only job is to unlock this ceiling power. Um, this may be getting a little deep really fast, but so as a father, I'm thinking, how does Rowan talk that way to his daughter in that? You mean Rome? Yeah, let's go Rome. Um, <laughs> King Rome. I'm terrible with names. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, Mike, that guy. <laughs> F, F me, am I right? So uh, anyway. <laughs> Only if you stay, Ass. please. <laughs> so, uh, please. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, on, on the serious note of it, though, so he comes in and seems very just daunting toward his daughter at this point. And so in my head, at first, I'm trying to reconcile, man, could I ever speak that way to my daughter but then, so I'm trying to think of this of, of two minds. So from his standpoint, he's effectively rest all of his, his influence and power on his daughter because he has no real teeth in this battle, right? He, you know, he's, he's elderly at this point. Um, he himself has no predestined part in this fight. It's just his daughter who's got a you know, he's got to rely on for all this. And so he's kind of projecting onto her as far as what he thinks needs to happen and on all his hopes and dreams. And then she is a 17 or 16, 17 year old teenager who's having to deal with all this on her shoulders. Um, and so I, I get it from both ends, you know, on her part, she thinks she's being overburdened by the, the plans of her father and her destiny. And on his side, he's trying to think about what's best and do what's best for her but then when you watch it from that that third person view, you're like, man, Rome, that's harsh, harsh, bro. And so it, it's it's very well done, I think, as far as the story. It, it's it's deeper than I would expect from the memories. Yeah. There is a really cool – so I, it's real quick, I want to talk about King Rome because we're probably not going to come back to him. Um, he only really plays a part in, the, in that one memory that you catch on – uh, in Hyrule Castle. And um, I think that King Rome as a character in Breath of the Wild is very interesting because in the present day, you speak to him as a, as a ghost, and he's obviously very regretful about the turn that things took and about the support that he feels he didn't give to Zelda um, and the path that it kind of led her to, which has left her imprisoned in Hyrule Castle for like 100 years just trying to contain Ganon. Um, in the memory, King Rome has a really cool bit of dialogue where he talks about like, yes, I think, Mike, everything you're saying is true, where he sort of feels like a fifth wheel in the in the grand destiny of Hyrule. Um, but what, you know, where it does ma kind of matter for him is the way in which his people see him. And he talks about how, you know, people are, are gossiping about how Hyrule is like a kingdom in decline and how Zelda is the heir of, of nothing and how the, the line – of, of the kings of Hyrule is declining. And so in a lot of sense, he's, he's putting a lot of that pressure on her because I think he knows that she's the only one who can bring about that restoration 
of, of his line. And so, you know, to your point, Mike, I think it's difficult as a father to imagine putting that sort of pressure on my child, but you know, this is an epic story and they're epic stakes, right? So, um, that definitely factors into it, but I thought it was a very humanizing moment for King Rome because obviously you want to, you want to be mad at him in this cutscene for all the pressure that he's putting on Zelda because the pressure that he's putting on her to unlock this ceiling magic ahead of when it should naturally happen as we come to find out is the, is the main driving force for the entire uh, memories narrative that we see. Like even the parts that involve Link, you know, uh, they're really all about the way that Zelda sees Link as like a successful knight and the person who was destined to carry the master sword and like, the memories start off with Link having the Master Sword. Like he's in he's some already ways there, already, yeah. yeah, he's in some ways fulfilled half of his destiny already. And Zelda has all that pressure coming from her father and from her and from what she sees as being her fate. And um, and so the fact that she feels like she's not living up to that is really the main story that all of these are telling. Yeah, and I think no. the other thing I wanted to say is that, like, as much as we want to vilify King Rome for being, you know, rude to Zelda, and let's be honest, he was a total dick, he's also the king of an entire nation that he knows is on the brink of collapse from something that nobody can fight except for Zelda. Like, he's not and, only— and, and Link. Yeah, well, right, but Link without Zelda can't defeat Ganon, and Zelda without Link can't defeat Ganon. So, like, he's sitting here with all of this pressure, and, like, yes, it sucks that it's his daughter that has to unlock this power, but everybody can feel that Calamity Ganon is close. Everybody can sense, like, the monster attacks, like Zelda said, they're getting more and more frequent. The, all the things that have been talked about in the prophecy that foretell the coming of Calamity Ganon, like, they've all happened— and so everyone is sitting here just like panicking and he's got an entire kingdom's worth of people, not only the Hylians, but also the Rito and the Gorons and the Gerudo. Like everybody is counting on him as king and on his daughter to save them. And so he's trying to and, and you get this really keenly from his um, his diary in the uh, in the library, which I did visit this time around, um, where he talks a lot about that. He's like, I, I don't want to push Zelda and I know she's unhappy and I know that she's been dealt a hard, a hard deal because normally her mother would be helping her through all of this. But her mom died at a young age and he's like, I don't want to push her, but. If I don't and she doesn't unlock this power, literally everybody is going to die. So <laughs> like he is trying to not only be a father, but also be a king. And those things are in conflict in some ways. And yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, and I agree with you, Matt. And one thing I try and keep in mind as I play through this game is that every instance where Link and Zelda seal away the darkness is generations or centuries apart. And so it's not like King Rome really has a, a firm grasp on what's supposed to happen. He's been told this probably based on stories handed down from generation to generation, and now he finds it's his time. And so he's really trying to kind of fly by the seat of his pants on how do we do this? All I know is my daughter is supposed to have this power, and she doesn't at this point. So I think that's part of the reason for his his attitude toward it. Um, and then on the, the other side of that, I think one cool part on the cutscenes is, uh, there's the one where Link is literally standing over a field of deceased monster bodies 
where he looks like a complete badass. Yeah, he's killed and, like four Lionels and like a Hinox and there's like a bunch of Moblins. Oh yeah, oh, yeah dude. He's, he's, They're all just laying there before him like fodder. And he's sitting there, you know, kind of winded, maybe maybe a cut on his cheek, you know, holding the master sword. And Zelda's like talking to him as a person, like, wow, you know, we, you know, here's what the progress we've made. Here's all this. And again, she's seeing Link as man, Link's fulfilled his his part of the deal at this point. Now I'm just the last, the last missing link. I'm the last puzzle piece that hasn't fallen into place. So I think watching all the memories together where she is lashing out at Link, um, you know, in, in her attitude is just kind of built by that point of Link has done all this. Why am I so far behind? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think that that's obviously a very compelling story. I do like to see the turn of Zelda's attitude towards Link. I think that really comes for the first time in the Gerudo Desert cutscene where we see Link defend her against the Yiga foot soldiers. And, um, you know, that's when she kind of, I think, it, it, you know, I think she always knew that Link was this person, but that's when it becomes a little bit more personal to her and she be, kind of begins to like appreciate him. Um, we don't really get any more cutscenes after that one that make it seem like she's just putting up with us, you know? Uh, and I also think that this is the first time she realizes that as her appointed knight, Link would literally die for her in an instant. Like, no questions asked. That's his whole job. And like, until that point, all she sees Link as is um, a reminder of her own failure, which I think Urbosa says in one of the Champions Ballads uh, memories that we'll see later is that every time Zelda looks at you and sees that sword on your back, all she's reminded of is her own failure. And I think that like, one is actually that one's actually in the uh, the Vonaboris. OK, um, yeah. Cut scene. So, yeah. you know, it's blatantly stated that that's what that is. But then at this point, Link or Zelda realizes like, oh, Link, even though I've been shitty to him for the last, you know, call it six months, he would still immediately just lay down his life for me right now. No questions asked. And like that, that's yeah. probably pretty impactful. <laughs> well, and, you know, so from my take on it, that's actually part of the start of the partnership between Link and Zelda, because it's always a partnership, right? Like You, you can't do one thing without the other. Um, and once she starts to realize Link's role and and her role in conjunction with that in what's supposed to happen to seal the darkness. I think that's when it really takes off and, and ends in that culmination of the, because of Link, I have, uh, from my take, that's kind of what makes her assume that power. She's defending Link, who's the other part of the Triforce, for lack of a better word, and that's what unlocks it for her. I do oh, want to say sure. one thing. Yeah, I want to say one thing real quick. That's, uh, I'll, I'll come back to this element of all of this more in a bit. Um, but one thing that is neat about the cutscene you mentioned specifically, Matt, where Link is just like standing atop a, a pile of bodies of like the toughest enemies that you fight in this game. Um, I thought that was really neat because the first time I ever played Breath of the Wild, I was sitting there looking at that like, oh, there's no way Link could take like all those Lynels at one time and all this other stuff. But having played um, uh, Age of Calamity, uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity now, um, they're uh, like, obviously you're playing as Link a hundred years ago in that game at kind of like the height of his combat ability. And that's kind of like the whole crux of the mechanics of that game is that you're just fighting a hundred dudes at a time, you know, and dominating but, them all. 
Right. But yeah, like there were several encounters in there where like you're fighting three Lynels at a time, plus a guardian, plus like a Bokoblin horde and like whatever. Um, and so obviously, you know, that's kind of relying on like another game to, <laughs> to reinforce a little bit of this, which whatever that you could say that's not great storytelling, but I do buy it now because I've like seen, I've seen Link kicking that amount of ass before. So it, <laughs> it now does make sense. Right. Um, I, I definitely really like that cut scene. Um, I'm trying to kind of think. So the, the thing is, I want to go back to the order that you watch these in because you, you really can watch them in any order until you get to the one at Hyrule Castle where Rome talks to Zelda. And then everything after that follows a pretty direct path from one to the next, right? The ones before that are, I think, a little like meandering, not in a bad way, but they're just telling isolated stories for the most part. And then everything after that is Zelda saying, okay, time to get it in gear and to really go and unlock this. And that's what carries you through to the spring of power and then to kind of formulating a plan to go to Mount Lanayru. And then we're in the end game where, you know, Calamity Ganon is back. Um, so I, I, I think that that's a fun thing where when you do watch them in order, the back half really does kind of ratchet up in terms of tension and momentum. Um, I also want to say that I really could have done with an extra memory, maybe, maybe one that isn't required for this quest, but like maybe one that you can unlock as you're going through Hyrule Castle at the end of the game. I would like to see some of what happens from King Rome's standpoint once, once the calamity breaks out over Hyrule Castle. Oh, so I was thinking the exact same thing. Like all we get is this memory where it, it comes out from underneath Hyrule Castle. And then the next thing we see is a defeated Link and a defeated Zelda. All the champions are dead. Like I want, I want some, I want one in between that. Like how far back towards Hyrule Castle did they make it before they realized that the guardians were all possessed? How, like, how did how did they find out that all the champions were dead and that the divine beasts were under the control of the calamity? Like, I want to see some more of those things, too. Right. I feel like these memories give us really fantastic character development from uh, one one phase to the next. But there's still just a big gap in there about how do we go from calamity Ganon coming up to Lincoln Zelda being the last two alive and on the run. Like, yeah, and especially like the moment where the champions try to take control of their divine beasts and it doesn't work and they realize that the divine beasts are no longer under their control. I, I want to see that moment, especially because I feel like it would add more to the characters of Mifa, Rivali, Daruk, and Urbosa, you know? Yeah, and like um, see them, not, not necessarily see them fight the Blights, but like what do they do to try to maintain that, right? It's like what what's their backup plan? So yes, I, I would love to see more about the downfall of the uh, of the champions because I mean their their backstories told, and you you see some of their skill and their prowess, but I mean they're all such powerful characters in their own right. I would like to see a little bit more of how each of them handles that conflict. Um, and I mean they're all supposed to be you know the best of the best of their respective races and and groups. And so I feel like that kind of misses a little bit there where I'd like to see just more of them. Maybe that's like a selfish deal, but I, I love seeing their interactions with Link and how each of them shrinks Link differently. I think that's part of the important backstory. Yeah. And, you know, as part of the Champions Ballad, we do get an extra cut scene for each champion that talks a bit about them more specifically and deals more with their backstory, which is cool, but that's not really addressing this this thing we're talking about, which is that there's a moment 
for for those characters in the middle of everything falling apart that I think we we really could have gotten. Um, and I think that's one area where even though I want to call Breath of the Wild's use of storytelling in the Unlocked Memories quest a success, and I do think it's a success, I think that one area where it just doesn't have as much room to succeed as Zelda games where the narrative is being told linearly is that you just don't get that shading, right? Um, and and that's not even like, I don't even think that that's necessitated by the structure of the way that this is done. I think that could happen. And, and this is, you know, this is another example of us armchair quarterbacking this thing and saying like, oh, well, if I had been making this game, I would have added like this memory and this memory and whatnot. And it's hard to do that because, you know, there are resources involved in making a video game and it takes a lot of time to do this kind of thing. You need voice acting and like cinematography and all this other stuff. So I don't want to be that guy who's just like, well, I wish they had added this to the game, you know? Um, but like just analyzing it from a storytelling standpoint, I think that there was room to, um, I think that there was room to add just a little bit extra there, but overall, I think still a, still a success. Um, Real quick, I would like each of us to go through and kind of pick out a favorite memory of all the ones collected. Matt, I'll let you go first. Well, you didn't even uh, tee me up for that whatsoever. Oh, oh my gosh. All right, let me open my switch up and go to the album. (laughs) I think my favorite memory... Hmm... The third to last, I think, at the um, what's this park? Uh, Sanadin Park ruins um, where Link and Zelda are walking around with their horses. And uh, Zelda is talking to Link about some of the advice that he's given her about, you know, treat your mount well and make sure to soothe them and and be vocal with how you're feeling and, and, you know, how to foster that bond in many ways is, is also how they have kind of also fostered their own bond, um, which I thought was kind of fun parallel uh, paralleling there. Um, and also, you know, Zelda talking about, you know, the final thing that she can do to uh, awaken that power um, in her was really, was really good. Um, and I, I'm choosing that one because I, I want to allow Mike to choose the uh, monster killing one because I think that's probably his favorite. But uh, if it's not, that would be uh, probably uh, up there as well, just because I know we talked a lot about it. But the uh, badassery of Link is is always a good thing to see. Well, Mike, it's been teed up for you now. Is your favorite memory, in fact, the one that Matt thought you were going to pick? So, y- yes, but I have two. Can I go with two? Yeah. So I, I love the one where he's standing over the field of monsters and Zelda's just like kind of all in at this point. Like she's good with Link. Their, their relationship's in a good spot. And she's going over. Um, and I might be confusing memories, but so I, I really like that one where she's just talking about, okay, hey, yeah, you know, we'll do this, this, and this. Um, but my favorite memory is kind of an odd one. And I think it might be different than that. It's the one where she is talking to, to Link and she comes up with the hot foot frog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Eat it. Just put it in your and, mouth. <laughs> and she and that really kind of demonstrates like her her change in relationship with Link for me. She went from being very cold of, you know, get away from me, you know, go tell my father I want you to stop following me 
to, hey, because of your physique and your prowess, I want you to just consume this live frog and let's experiment on, you know, what it does for you. And it's kind of, you know, she's, she's into this kind of, um, at least friendship relationship with Link at this point on, hey, you know, here's what we're doing. I'm excited about science. And she just seems very full of life in that one. And I think that demonstrates her character probably the best. Um, I even have a third, but you know, I'll just leave it until after Lyndon. So I also really like the hot foot frog one. I think that the, like, obviously that's a funny moment. It's played for laughs, but there's a, there's a moment in that memory where Zelda is talking about the silent princess flower, you know, and it's a cool moment where she mentions that it's this species of flower that they haven't been able to grow in captivity. It's only able to be grown in the wild. And she hopes that it represents like, um, yeah, she hopes that it represents like a restoration of Hyrule and like if this flower can grow, then maybe there's like hope for the kingdom. I like that um, because when you actually go up to Zelda's keep in Hyrule Castle and read her diary, um, you see that there's a silent princess growing in one of her like uh, her flower beds up in there. And so it shows that actually it did manage to like grow there. And I think that's kind of like a... Uh, a white tree of Gondor blooming again, sort of symbol of hope, kind of. That's what I took the whole silent princess thing to be really. It's just, just, it's, it's obviously very symbolic of her. It can't grow in captivity and she's been chafing against all the rules of her father. And it's, uh, and it's an endangered species. There's that no one really understands why. And, you know, she's one of a kind and her, the power that resides in her blood is very unique and nobody can figure out how to do anything else with it. So yeah, the whole thing is obviously a very, I don't want to say ham fisted metaphor, but it's a very obvious metaphor for Zelda herself. Right. But a very and good I, one. I, I think it's a good one. I mean, I I, I don't know that we can say ham-fisted because it, it's very closely representing her story of, you know, she, she's been told what she needs to do her entire life. And I think she's supposed to be the silent princess. Um, not necessarily that her her dad's not wanting her to, you know, achieve and, and be heard, but that she has a linear objective in in what her her plans are and what is being projected upon her. And she's saying this can't grow in captivity. It needs to be wild. And that's what she wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. Ham fisted was definitely my, my way of saying that it was obvious, not, not that it was bad. Just to clarify. Yeah, yeah, no, I I got you, Matt. So let's talk real quick about the final memory before we move on to the next section real quick, because this one, obviously, a lot of stuff happens. We actually see Zelda finally manage to unlock her power in order to disable the Guardians. Um, We see Link fall. I mean, I think the implication is that Link was dead without the Shrine of Resurrection, right? Um, I do think that I would like to see a cut of all these memories in chronological order, which would put Zelda delivering the Master Sword to the Deku Tree after this, right? Um, and then I, I really, I don't know. I, I, I just think that that scene is so cool and cinematic. The music in it is so great. Um, it really makes the Guardians feel dangerous and swarm-like in a way that they kind of haven't before. Yeah, the other thing I really love about that memory is uh, when when Link falls unconscious and Zelda is like cradling him. She's like, uh, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be OK. And Link just gives her this look that's like, are you serious? Like, come on. 
I'm like literally dying here. Like there's just this look <laughs> yeah. on his face that was just bright. I don't know if that look was intentional, but that's what I got from it too. Okay, I'm glad it wasn't just me, but I thought that look was priceless and I actually laughed out loud on the on the airplane when I saw it. Can I do my third favorite memory real quick? Yeah. So another one that I thought was kind of a, a, a side memory that kind of hit deep for me was Urbosa mm-hmm. with uh, Zelda. I think they're on Vonaboris. And, you know, she, she's cradling her after she was busy all day with the surveying and whatnot. And what I'm kind of getting from that is, you know, she's, she's treating Zelda as almost a daughter at that point, which kind of, you know, makes you think even harder about her actual daughter who is having to take over after her. But she, she does seem to have a very kind of particular motherly instinct. And, you know, she's taking care of Zelda. Um, it, you know, it's just a very kind of, soft cut scene for Urbosa, who's supposed to be, you know, the head warrior woman. And yet she's taking care of her, just kind of stroking her hair. And I mean, maybe this is the, the dad me too with, with my daughter, but she, she's taking care of her. She, but she understands Link's plight in it too. She's very reassuring to Link. And I feel like she understands the whole relationship almost better than, than anyone at that point in the game. Couldn't agree more, Mike. So to tie up part two, I think we can all say if we, so part two is our takes, right? I think our take is that this is well done. And for this being the main story dump of Breath of the Wild, uh, it works, right? Like it is, it is successful in coloring in the narrative of the backstory of this game. Yeah. Agree. Agree. All right, let's go ahead and move on to part three, which is shrine diving, where we analyze uh, a shrine that we thought was particularly great this week, talk about the things that we enjoyed about it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go first to give Matt and Mike time to think. And Mike, for you, feel free to just like pick one that Mm -hmm. you can remember that you've played recently. It doesn't have to be from this week. Um, Mine is actually going to be, it's not the shrine itself. Again, this is just a blessing shrine, but it's the one that uh, you find in the Akala Labyrinth. And, um, I think the labyrinths in general are kind of a lot of fun. I try not to cheese them, which is to say, I try not to climb to the top and just like get, get to the solution that way. Right. Um, I try, I try to actually navigate them. And the Akala one is actually probably the most geometrically complicated of all the three labyrinths. But I really like how, um, once you get down into the basement, it's just a room full of guardians. And that's always kind of like a fun challenge to take on. It really had me thinking that, um, um, that level of com- that level of, of challenging combat uh, should be something that crops up more in some of the late game shrines as something that's d- more difficult than just like the major tests of strength. Um, that's not super profound, but uh, yeah, I, I just really like that room because it really tests your ability to kind of take out multiple guardians um, at a single time. Also, if you were unaware. And you're uh, you're kind of conquering the Akala Labyrinth. Be sure to go down to that basement room because not only do you get the travel medallion, which allows you to kind of like set it somewhere and to warp there at any time, but there's also a free diamond circlet that you can get from the chest down there. And the diamond circlet gives you guardian resist up if you upgrade it. So it helps you be uh, tankier against guardians elsewhere in the game. Um, Matt, I'm going to go ahead and send it over to you. Yeah, so I... Um I didn't do very many shrines this week. Um, I do agree with you that the Akala region, and so I actually want to talk about your shrine for a second. Uh, I have this fun headcanon that the that shrine 
and the reason it's over there and that basement level is kind of where they started designing guardians in the first place and they had them sequestered over there so that if they got loose and started trying to kill everybody uh they would be trapped on that island instead uh so uh, that's a fun headcanon for me Neat, neat headcanon. I like that. Yeah. So um, I really like that shrine uh, and that that labyrinth. Um, I have been playing over the last couple of days since I finished our this section of game. I have been playing ahead um, because, you know, there's a lot of games still to play. Um, so I've, I'm actually on the third shrine right now in the uh, Hebrew region. And yeah, I, there's I can't say enough about the shrines. I really think they're super, super fun. You mean the labyrinths? Yeah, 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 labyrinths. Sorry, that was what was I saying? Shrines. Yeah, that was, yeah, labyrinths. I really like the labyrinths. Um, no, they're fantastic. But uh, as far as what I did, um, what I did during this chunk of game that we are talking about, um, I did four shrines. Three of them were blessing shrines, um, and not super great ones. Honestly, I don't even remember what they were. Um, but the one that I did do that was not, um, a blessing shrine was Ta Mahul, uh, passing the flame. Um, and that one is in the Elden region, kind of in the foothills of, uh, Death Mountain around close to the, uh, uh, the stable over there. And um, it's just, it's a shrine where you light a ton of stuff on fire. And uh, I'm a bit of a pyromaniac. So that uh, really spoke to my inner pyromaniac. So um, I'll, I will give it the uh, default win for not being a blessing shrine. And also for just letting me light stuff on fire. <laughs> well, that's as good a reason as any. <laughs> Mike, you got a shrine for us, buddy. I do. And so I, have kept track of most of the podcast, so I don't know if you have talked about this one before, but the Trial of Thunder Shrine? I don't believe I've done that one, but describe it for me. So this one is kind of between um, the, uh, I'm going to blank on what the snowy region is. Between Hebra and? Uh, this is between he- uh, Hebra and whenever you go to the Deku Tree. So there's this one really stormy area that you can see from high up in the Thundra Plateau. Yes. So you fly down to this per- perpetually stormy region and there's orbs everywhere and you've got to try and get these orbs to the right platforms and it's raining the whole time. If you don't have your three stamina wheels, you're pretty much effed. Um, but I really enjoyed that. Just the uh, You're trying to get these orbs to where they need to go. Plus it's raining the whole time and it just felt very... Uh, very Zelda to me to be able to try and find this little puzzle of where you need to take these with that environmental um, aspect. And then, uh, so besides that shrine, which was just kind of a fun, uh, get these to the right spot and you get your shrine quest. Um, I did also do the crowned beast shrine, mm. which is one of Cass's. And uh, I thoroughly enjoy all of Cass's quests. And so the crowned beast is the one where you have to ride the stag up to the pedestal, right? Yes. You fly around looking for a deer. And uh, you have to find a stag, sneak up on said stag, and then ride him really royally mm. to the right area, and then you get your shrine. Both good picks. Uh, one one note about the Thunder Plateau Shrine is that that is one of the shrines that gives you a piece of gear. I forget which piece of the rubber set it is, 
Um, but you do get one of the, one of the pieces of the rubber armor set that when fully upgraded gives you resistance to electricity. Uh, so that's a really good one to go and grab. Um, also talking about gear that you get from shrines, uh, another reason to go and do the labyrinths is that the labyrinths each give you a piece of the barbarian armor and the barbarian armor gives you a straight attack bonus. Um, and once it's fully upgraded all like four times, it's, it's quite a substantial attack bonus. So that's a, that's a pretty good one to go grab if you're just looking to do some extra raw power. I don't know if the rubber set, um, hmm. So I know once you get the Thunder Helm, which I actually used several times this week, like I found myself in the middle of lightning storms and just, uh, slapped on the Thunder Helm. And then it doesn't matter if you're running around with metal gear because the lightning strikes don't do anything to you. Um, I don't know if, uh, that is a better thing to wear than a full set of the rubber gear. Um, I think the rubber gear probably gives you better resistance against like electric attacks. Like if you were to get hit by, a shock arrow or something. I think that's what the rubber gear is better for. But anyway, definitely a good thing to still have. And I have not done the Thunder Plateau yet. I've been looking forward to it. So definitely a really good, um, definitely a really good pick there, Mike. I recall having to do a lot of like stasis hitting of the orbs to like yes. knock them around. Yeah. I, so you, I you guess how many hits to do. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you overshoot it. No, I did the Thunder Plateau a couple weeks ago, but that was one of the weeks that I, we like, I think we're going into Gerudo, uh, the Gerudo Valley basically. And so they got my pick, but otherwise, yeah, this is a fantastic pick. Um, no, and, and a note about Cass's quest specifically is, uh, I'm going to be dedicating a lot of my tying up loose ends episodes to, uh, finishing those off and, uh, going back to see him and, uh, Rito village. Yeah. I'm going to be talking about the, the, um, finale of Cass's quest at the, um, during the next episode that we do. And we're actually going to be hitting Cass quite a lot that episode because it's going to be the champions ballad episode. And he is like, he's a character that kind of runs through that whole thing. So expect a lot of Cass next week, um, which is going to be fun because he's a, he's a really cool character. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and get into part four, which is bloopy trails where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention. Um, I'll go first again. I did a few fun ones this week. Now that I've got my stamina full upgraded um i actually headed back up to satori mountain uh because i noticed it glowing this week and successfully managed to mount the king of the mountain this time um and somewhat appropriately i think um was on my way to get the sanadin ruins memory around that time which is the one that you unlock over at the horse monument and so it felt very appropriate to like ride the king of the mountain down to the horse monument and to get to that one that way um so that was a lot of fun. Uh, the other thing that I did was, you know, uh, I've got the DLC. So there's a lot of armor pieces from other Zelda games that you can get in the game. Once you have that unlocked, you can get like a full set of phantom armor from phantom hourglass. You can get like phantom Ganon's outfit. Um, you can get like Ravio's hood and you can get Link's wind waker Island t-shirt. Right. Um, I don't usually do a ton of those because, um, I just don't tend to wear them much. Um, but the one that I always do, make time to go get is Majora's Mask. And that one can be found in the Colomo Garrison Ruins, which is actually the island in the middle of the lake around um, where you unlock the second memory. It's the one where uh, right after Link has been knighted and Zelda asks Link about the voice and the sword and whether he's heard it. Um, if you if you have the DLC and you go over to the island in the middle of that lake, um, there's a chest in the ground that does contain Majora's Mask. And that's a that's a fun thing to have in your inventory. I always try to get it. It's always really fun when you have that in your inventory and you also have a full set of fierce deity armor. 
<laughs> Almost like you're uh, playing for both sides there. Maybe a little bit, which uh, I uh, basically never take off the fierce deity mask in this playthrough, like in, in Breath of the Wild, basically never. It's uh, it's awesome. And uh, by the way, for those of you who care about such things, uh, the barbarian armor does give you that plus attack bonus. So does the fierce deity armor. And when the fierce deity armor is upgraded uh, at least twice, it also gives you a plus attack bonus to fully charged stamina attacks. So uh, great sword uh, twirly uh, spin it to win it. And then, uh, you know, basically any any charge power attack like that. So very, Good very tip. useful. Good pro tip. Matt, give us a Z targeting. Z targeting. I thought we were on bloopy trails. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Bloopy trails. My bad. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I completed the Terrytown quest this week. Um, I did all of that and, uh, tying that up was a lot of fun. Um, getting everybody over there. Uh, I always have the hardest time finding the Zora priest. Um, also I get very distracted when I go to Zora's domain. Uh, I hadn't done most of the side quests over there, but uh, there's like three people that gave me side quests, uh, including the, uh, the light scale trident, putting it on the pedestal, killing the Hinox by a pond, uh, the love letter quest, which I haven't completed yet, but I got. And so anyway, I did Terrytown, uh, which was fun. Uh, it's nice to have that fully built just in case I ever somehow break my Hylian shield. I can go uh, purchase that and then um yeah it was it was just a good uh, it was a good wholesome time to to finish all that out hello gatsby <laughs> gatsby says hi i feel like we're probably gonna have to include the ending of the Terrytown quest in the plot recap for next week right yeah probably okay cool mike do you have a bloopy trail that you would like to talk about something that diverted your attention so i do um one thing that i did throughout my playthrough on this run is most of the challenge quests, like the uh, at the end of Eventide, whenever you do the flying challenge and try and keep up with the Rito and then the uh, shield surfing tests, I left off because I did not upgrade stamina very much at all for most of this playthrough until I had enough hearts to go get the Master Sword. So I went back recently and did the, um, the gliding challenge and the shield challenge till I got them 100%ed. And I love those little throw-ins they have. The, I mean, they're essentially side games, but I really enjoy shield surfing in this game. Um, and I think those mechanisms are really fun. So I went and done probably 30 good minutes into those challenges. Nice. Yeah, there are a few of those. There's also one that you can get on the Sheikah Tower that's kind of over by the Thundera Plateau. There's a dude who wants you to do like a, a paragliding challenge, I believe. So that game has a few of those, and I do think they're a fun uh, thing to do for a few minutes. I think all you really get from them is rupees, right? Yeah, there's nothing super awesome to get from them. It's more just me wanting to do the challenges. And uh, so this time I saved everything that I thought was a challenge with a star. And then whenever you get to a certain point, you're like, what are these stars for? <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to go back and go to each star and, oh, okay, this is that challenge. I got to do it now. And so that was a, uh, a solid bloopy trail for me. Nice. Let's get into part five, which is Z targeting, where we talk about fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. And I think we've got a lot to pick from this week. Um, Matt, you uh, have already chosen Zelda, so you can't do you can't do her this time. Indeed, I, uh, did that, who, I did that purposefully so that you or somebody else could have her this time, because this was also a very good Zelda week, of course. Nice. And actually, I was going to pick Zelda, but I have uh, I have another pick that I think everyone's going to enjoy. Um, but anyway, uh, Z targeting, Matt, go. <laughs> 
Um, come back to me. Actually, hold on. I had I had it, and it was not a main character. And now I'm trying to remember who it was. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, Mike. Z targeting. Go. <laughs> I mean, so I guess if we're doing this, I'll go ahead and uh, take Zelda for this run. Um, I haven't picked her yet, <laughs> so um, I think that the memory quest really is is the most. Zelda we get in this entire game, but it's such a good amount of Zelda, um, especially going back and watching them all in the Sheikah Slate in order. So you've got Zelda from going from a really standoffish, like, man, do I even like this iteration of Zelda to, man, look at the sacrifices she made both before the calamity um, in her daily prayer and, and just dedication to try and get that power unlocked to building her relationship with Link. Um, to just being really humanized as a character and then also trying to shoulder what her father's put on her, um, culminating in her glowy hands, save Link. Mm. And then, hey, you know, her dedication's paid off in in other ways. She clearly is a very powerful iteration of Zelda because she's held Calamity Ganon trapped for a hundred years at this point. Um, So I think just showcasing her power and her, her growth really kind of did it for me this this time around. And then you're talking to a guy who cries at certain rom-coms. <laughs> and so, I mean, like there, there were, I, I wouldn't say that the storyline is so compelling that it, it brought emotion in every, in, in every memory. But overall, I found myself like, oh man, like I'm, I'm getting the feels on some of these memories, which was nice. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, Zelda is just, I mean, Zelda really is the pick I think for this week. And I'm glad that I'm glad that you picked her Mike, because her story is very well told and gave us a a really well realized version of this character. Matt, did you remember what you were trying to, uh, to recall there? I I do actually. Uh, so there is a shrine over in the Gerudo Highlands region, uh, that is just covered in trash and garbage and there is this random woman over there. Her name is Moza. And uh, she uh, fancies herself a, a chef extraordinaire and can teach you three wonderful recipes. One for a lavish meat dish that is uh, bird meat or steak and some ore. Another one is uh, her ancient uh, meat dish, which is a bird meat or steak and an ancient gear or screw. And then (laughs) there is another one that is, uh, what is this? The ultimate survival dish, which is just take a bunch of monster parts and throw them in the pot. And she is very confused as to why she is only ever making uh, dubious food. And I can only imagine (laughs) that these literal piles of garbage are just her failed attempts at making food. And I just feel very sorry for anybody that has to eat anything that she makes. Or are they her successful attempts at making food? (laughs) I mean, if those are her successful attempts at making food, I am terrified. I love how uh, so that plateau that she's chilling out on is shaped like a frying pan, which I think is funny. But also, when you get over there, isn't aren't there just like flies and gnats buzzing all yes. over the place? Yeah, it's literally like, just <laughs> yeah. No, dude, it's disgusting. <laughs> so you're saying that the uh, that the that the steak thrown in a pot with an ancient screw doesn't actually yield an edible meal? No, it, it does not. So do you think she picked this up from the Gerudo cooking class? (laughs) Oh, no, I hope not. (laughs) She was too cutting edge. They kicked her out of the school. I'm pretty sure that she would get kicked out of any culinary school. Yes. 
Yeah. You think you think Gordon Ramsay would <laughs> would would give her the old idiot sandwich? Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay would have many things to say. <laughs> oh god. Good dark horse pick there, Matt. Thank Good, you. Thank uh, you. I tried. Man. Nice. Okay, so my Z targeting pick for the week is going to be drum roll please. I'm choosing fee. Hey, I approve. Yeah. I approve. Because Right. So obviously when we see uh when we see the master sword physically glowing after Link falls to the ground, um Zelda talks about how the voice on the sword kind of let her know that Link uh was was still alive and that there was still hope. The sound effect that plays when the sword is glowing is the same sound effect from when Fee talks to you in Skyward Sword. And then, you know, also anytime that Zelda mentions the voice in the sword, clearly we're talking about Fee, you know, the spirit that is sealed within the Master Sword forever. But I just think it's really cool because even though we don't see Fee's body in any of these cutscenes, um, the moment that the sword talks to Zelda is clearly Fee communicating with her. And the story kind of turns on that narrative pivot where it's really Fee giving Zelda the hope that she needs to continue um, and to not call this thing a loss as soon as Link falls. I think that that's a really cool moment because one, it's a neat way to continue a character from a past Zelda game. But two, I think that that's a really cool um, incarnation of Fee being a guardian and protector for Link, right? Which which is what she promised to do um, for eternity um, for any any holder of the Master Sword. So I'm a huge fan of that. I think it's a really neat, subtle narrative payoff from Skyward Sword. Absolutely love everything about that pick. I thought you might like it, Matt. I had a, I had a hunch that you would approve. <laughs> I approve wholeheartedly. All right. Well, with that said, let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts, where we let Matt tie up this section of the game in as a succinct way as he can possibly think to do. But does it have to be succinct this time? I mean, feel free to wax poetic just a bit. All right. I mean, I didn't get to do a plot recap, so I feel like I have to make up for it somewhere. Uh, anyway, so this section of the game really hinges upon some unique storytelling that we haven't seen not only in any other Zelda game previous to now, but in very few games that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, we get a very unique narrative structure that builds on the relationship between the champions and Link and Zelda and specifically mostly revolves around the relationship that Link and Zelda have going from a contentious, almost rivalry uh, to a very close friendship bordering on uh, what you could really call romantic affection um, or at the very least extremely close friendship we also get the nice. opportunity no i'm not done yet i'm sorry i had a little burp there. i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> We also get the opportunity to explore even more of the nooks and crannies of Hyrule from the beautiful vistas overlooking uh, central Hyrule to uh, some cool ruins, including Sandaren Park. And uh, we get to really see Hyrule as it was 100 years ago through the memories, but also explore what it is today. Um, all of that really culminates into a section that uh, moves us both uh, physically and geographically, but also emotionally and ties us to the story of uh, the person uh, that Zelda was, who she is now, who Link used to be, and what does our story look like in the context of that past relationship. And now I'm done. Excellent. <laughs> 
<laughs> Great. Thank you for, uh, thank you for clarifying. Uh, well done, Matt, as always. Um, this, of course, concludes the Sacred Realms Rundown for this week. We'll be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown for Breath of the Wild. Y'all, this has been a really fun one. I knew, I knew that this was going to be a really fun chunk of game to talk about, um, and I knew that it was going to be very different from w- what we've been able to hit in Breath of the Wild up until now. So, of course, we do still have some good story left to cover, especially in the Champions Ballad and the final cutscenes of this game. So we are still going to have more plot to talk about as we continue going through the final chapters of Breath of the Wild. Um, Mike, I'm really happy that you could join us for this one. I think that we've gotten to talk a lot of gameplay with you up until this point, but this was a this was a really special treat where we really just got to focus on narrative, and I thought that was just a just a blast. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's a nice change of pace because this game has good story, but it's very compartmentalized. Um, so being able to actually talk about the story and the characters more in depth has been nice. Yeah. And I do just want to say, I did say um, earlier that I was going to touch on Age of Calamity one more time before the end of the episode. And to that point, I just want to say that um, I would not call it required playing to appreciate this game, especially because, spoiler alert, for Age of Calamity, once you get through the game, you sort of start realizing that you're existing in a branch timeline. Um, like you're not actually playing a prequel to Breath of the Wild. You're you're playing in some ways a sequel to it in which the uh, the rule of 100 years ago avoids the calamity. Um, there's a there's an interesting time travel plot in which the characters you you play along with in Breath of the Wild, Yunobo, Tiba, me, uh, Yunobo, Tiba, Sidon and Riju actually go back in time to stop the champions from being killed on the divine beasts. So in some ways it's a sequel because the versions of those characters that you play in that game are the versions that you play alongside in Breath of the Wild. But anyway, um, there is some really interesting extra dimensionality that's brought to the champions through that game because you do see that moment when they, um, you know, they are trying to take control of their divine beasts and uh, the divine beasts are kind of wrested away from them by the calamity, but you end up, you know, uh, you end up saving them from you end up saving them from dying. So anyway, it's a neat thing, but if you are itching for just a little bit more characterization around a lot of those characters, then I would encourage you to play Age of Calamity if you can kind of get on board with the Musou-style combat games, which is just uh, kill 10,000 things, um, more so than it is puzzle-solving or anything else. Um, I enjoyed the game well enough. I probably will not play it again because that's not my favorite style of game, but there you go. It's a it's a fun little supplementary dish to a lot of the stuff that we were talking about this week if you feel like you want to go and tackle that. Uh, guys, I think uh, we're probably about ready to wrap this one up for the week. It's getting a little late. Um, Matt, do you have anything else you want to say before we blast out of here? You know, I don't. I think uh, I think we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of good game to talk about. There was a lot of things that uh, work really well in this section, and I think we did a good job covering that. So I will let that be what it is. How about that? That sounds good. Oh, actually, one extra thing real fast. We didn't talk about music at all because for the most part, we weren't going into any new areas or anything. But I do want to give a special um, honorable mention post-Sacred Realms rundown to the soundtrack of a lot of these memory cutscenes. There's some really neat ones in here. Specifically, there's um, there's a musical beat that plays in the cutscene where Link saves Zelda from the Yiga foot soldiers. That is like just a really downbeat piano arrangement of the Legend of Zelda classic theme yep. so some cool stuff in there too there's also a uh there's also a zelda's lullaby in there somewhere i don't remember which one it's in but it was uh it was pretty pronounced 
yeah, I, I think it's when she blasts the guardians. Um, there's a there's a really cool piece of music that plays in that final cutscene when she blasts that mound of guardians too. But yep. anyway, that's all. You know, <laughs> that's just a fun little extra bit. All right, y'all. Well, let's go ahead and tie this one up and get out of here. Mike, uh, we bid you adieu for this episode, but we will, of course, see you back for for one more episode before season five is over. And that will, of course, be your now customary reappearance on the final review and ranking of this game. Oh, I'm ready to vote. Oh, voting's going to be spicy for this one. And I, I can't wait for that conversation because I think that the ranking is about to get, uh, I think the ranking is maybe about to get comp. Yeah, a little complicated, so we'll we'll see. But we do have three voting members now, so we will at least be able to come to some kind of consensus. All right, y'all. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show, and that makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Breath of the Wild Chapter 14, which will cover the Champion's Ballad DLC. Breath of the Wild is available to play on the Nintendo Wii U or the Nintendo Switch. We would love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. We are at Sacred Realms Pod on basically everything. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch y'all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel in Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. 